You all may be seated. It's great to have you today. Dennis, you can turn me down just a little bit there. It's, um, my name is Doug Vernon, and I am the senior minister here at Wildwood Christian Church. And we appreciate you being here to honor God and to worship Him. Those of you who are online, we appreciate you as well and encourage you to let us know that you're here. In fact, as Patty mentioned earlier, uh, you can text the word welcome. Take your cell phone out and text the word welcome to 636-206-8654. And it's on the card in the back of the seat in front of you. There's also a program. If you want to use your phone and snap that QR code, it'll take you to the Uversion app so you can follow along. But again, we're very thankful that you're with us today. And this is the uh, final day in a series that we've been in called Search and Be Rescued. Search and Be Rescued. And people all over the world are searching for meaning in their life. Um, every one of us understand that. And so for us, we know and recognize that that search can only be uh, concluded in Jesus Christ. But the struggle that we have, all of us have had at some point in our life, and the struggle that we have in this world is that um, in order to find Jesus, you've got to be able to see Jesus. You've got to be able to have eyes that can see him. And for many people in this world, there is this spiritual blindness that keeps us from being able to see Jesus Christ. So it was a three or four or five years ago, um, I ended up having to have surgery on my right eye because I had a partially detached retina. And the thing that was so strange about it was that I really didn't know that there was anything serious going on with my eye. Um, I, I don't remember if it was when I woke up or just in the middle of the day, all of a sudden I just noticed that there was, it's like somebody had put this little black dot right on the corner of my right eye. It was the strangest thing. I could see clearly. I didn't have any kind of pain. I didn't, you know, there didn't seem to be any other kinds of physical issues that I had. Just this weird thing. And so just kind of by chance I decided, well, I'll call up um, Dr. Cusimano, my uh, ophthalmologist, and I'll say, you know, is this something I ought to be paying attention to? And he immediately has me come into his office, he checks me out quickly, and then he immediately sends me to an eye specialist who looks at my eye, and the very next morning I had surgery to repair a partially detached retina. And again, I had absolutely no clue there was a problem at all. I could see just fine, except for that weird, strange black dot in my eye. I just, I was unaware that I had such a significant and serious issue. There's a lot of people in the world who, when it comes to spiritual matters, really are unaware that there is something missing in their life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. That their search for meaning and significance can only end up in Jesus Christ if they want to find true significance. And here's what I know as well. For some of you that are in this room, for some of you that have joined us online, that you are spiritually blind to some of the things that God is wanting to do in your heart and in your life. And it is only in Jesus Christ, and turning to Jesus Christ, can the darkness be lifted from our eyes so that we can truly see what Jesus Christ wants us to see. And so there's this story in Luke chapter 18. So I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke 18. There's Bibles 
in the seat in front of you, or you can you know, scan that code, use the Uversion app on your phone or on your tablet. Those of you who are online, I encourage you to take your Bibles out or click on that Bible tab there. But there's a story about a guy who was blind, and yet even in the midst of his blindness, he could see who Jesus Christ really was. He understood who Jesus was, but we learned this lesson that until we seek Jesus above all, above everything else, we will never find the kind of spiritual healing that we need in our life so that we can truly come to him. And so today, here's where we're going with this, and it's simply this, that blindness becomes sight when one turns to Jesus. That's a spiritual blindness that I have in my life only can become sight when I truly take a step towards Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to look at this story from Luke chapter 18. So I'm going to read starting in verse 35. You can follow along on the screen. You can follow along in your Bibles. But here's what Luke writes beginning in verse 35 of Luke chapter 18. He says these words. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked him what was happening. And they told him, well, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied, and Jesus says, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they praised God as well. So this story connects with a story we talked about, uh, the guy by the name of Zacchaeus a couple of weeks ago. It's the immediately next part in there in chapter 19 of Luke. But it connects more than just, you know, their stories of Jericho right there. They connect because these are two men who desperately needed Jesus Christ. They had this deep need in their life for Jesus. Now, these guys were on the complete opposite. You know, you've got one on the low end of the socioeconomic strata and another guy on the other end, the upper end of that. But both of them needed Jesus and both of them found that need in Jesus Christ. Now, Luke writes this in verse 35. He says, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, why was this guy, blind guy sitting by the roadside begging? Because that was pretty much all he could do for a living in that day and age. That was pretty much it. There was nothing else that he could do. But he picked that particular roadside because it was what was sometimes referred to as a pilgrim's road, in other words, as Jews would come from the northern part of Judah and they are of Galilee and they would come down, they would always come down on the eastern side of the Jordan and then they would cross the river at Jericho and then they would make their way ultimately to Jerusalem. So it was a good place to, to beg if that was all you could do to have a living there. Then verse 36, right, Luke writes these words, he said, he, when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what happened, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called, called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So he hears, right, because he can't see anything, he hears something unusual going on, and he asks about it. And so the crowd says, what? It is Jesus of what? Nazareth, who is passing by. Now, they were just simply telling him, okay, here's the... 
Here's where Jesus is from. He's from this region of Nazareth. But this guy knew enough about Jesus. In fact, probably all these people knew enough about Jesus. This guy knew that this guy was unusual, that Jesus was unusual. This is at least three years into the ministry of Jesus. He's been all over this area several different times. And so the reaction and the response of the blind man reveals that he knew Jesus was somebody special. And so the crowd calls him Jesus of Nazareth, but what was the phrase the beggar used in this story? He says, Jesus, what? Son of David. Jesus, son of David. They called him of Nazareth. He called him the son of David. And it indicates something unusual about this guy's response. Now, this is the only time in the Gospel of Luke that Luke uses this particular phrase to talk about who Jesus is, son of David. And Luke is the one who doesn't even write it, right? It comes from the mouth of this blind beggar. He calls him the son of David. Now, Matthew loved this phrase. Matthew used the phrase son of David several different times in reference to Jesus, but that's because Matthew was writing to Jews, whereas Luke is predominantly writing to people like us who are Gentiles. We don't know all the Jewish history. We don't know all of those kinds of things. And so the phrase that this guy uses, all of the Jews present would have known immediately what he was talking about. He wasn't just saying, well, this is some guy who's royalty. What he's saying is, this is royalty from God that God has promised all along. In fact, son of David was a kingly title. Um, it was royalty. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, Jeremiah says this, the days are coming. This is in the Old Testament of prophecy. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Now, there's another one that's a promise or a prophecy that you're probably familiar with, but we tend to hear it at Christmas time. This is Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And then he goes on. He will reign on David's throne, and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, he claimed by the phrase that he used, in fact, he used it more than once, right? He claimed something about Jesus Christ. Here was a group of people who could literally see, physically see, they called him Jesus of Nazareth. Here's a guy who was blind who called him Jesus, the son of David. It was royalty. That's what this guy meant. And it's, it's Luke's way, I think, it's Luke's way of challenging you and I who can see physically, do we really see who Jesus is? Do we just see him as somebody who is a good teacher? Do we see Jesus as just a good man that lived? Do we see Jesus as a myth? Do we see Jesus as the Son of God, the promised one of David, the Savior of the world, the Savior of our sins? And it's a challenge to all of us to look inward and say, who do I really think Jesus Christ is? And some of us are somewhat slow to see, right? Some of us struggle with that. 
We struggle with that for various reasons. Maybe we struggle with it because of our own arrogance, or we struggle with it because of bad past experiences, or we struggle with it because it's just not a priority in our life. Who is Jesus? Who do we see Jesus as? Who do we recognize Jesus is? So the crowd tries to make this guy be quiet there. Look at verse 39. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. Now to the crowd... This guy was too insignificant for Jesus to spend any kind of time with. That's just the way people who had those kind of disabilities were viewed in that day. But Jesus didn't see him as insignificant. Jesus saw him as very significant. In fact, Jesus calls to the guy and has them bring him to them. But you see, I'm so thankful that Jesus saw this guy as significant, not insignificant. Because there's a lot of times in my life I feel very insignificant. And I'm thankful that God in his mercy shows me his love through his son Jesus Christ. But it's also a little bit convicting to me. Because I oftentimes tend to see people like the crowd saw this blind man, right? As somewhat insignificant. You know, you come up to an intersection downtown or maybe an accident off of 40 at Olive and there's somebody standing there with one of those signs begging, right? Or you're in a grocery store and that kid is just screaming bloody murder in the store and you're like get that kid out of here they're bothering me or maybe it's those immigrants from Afghanistan who is it that we tend to just kind of see as insignificant you know spiritual blindness isn't just my inability to see Jesus sometimes it's my inability to see people like Jesus sees those people So why do you think Jesus asked the guy, what do you want me to do for you? That seems a little insensitive, personally, right? I mean, a blind guy is right in front of you. You know he's blind because people have had to help him up, and you look at him and you say, so what do you want me to do for you? It just seems insignificant. And yet, that's Jesus' way, not being in, or uh, it seems insincere. But it's not Jesus' way to be insincere. It's Jesus' way to force us to risk something. To force us to, okay, um, I know what I want, but am I willing to voice it, right? Am I willing to say it? Am I really willing to come to Jesus Christ and say, here's what I really need from you? It's kind of like a moment of truth. Um, Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want me to do for you? And so the guy has to decide... Am I going to take a risk? Am I going to take a step of faith? Even though it's just something as simple as opening my mouth and saying something to somebody else, am am I willing to do that? I wonder, what is the risk that God is calling upon you or me to take right now? I mean, it, it could be something pretty small, like just opening our mouth, but it is voicing, what do we need? What do you need from Jesus? I mean, if you're sitting there with Jesus or you're standing in front of him like this and he says to you, well, what do you need me to do for you? What would be the response? What what is the deepest need at that particular moment that you might have? What is it that you're dealing with? What is it that I happen to be wrestling with? 
And then verse 42. What does Jesus say? The guy says, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Receive your sight. Can you imagine what it must have been like? So we know this guy would have possibly been blind from birth. Or it could have been, you know, he says, receive your sight. It's almost said in a way that maybe the guy had it at one point and he lost his sight. But either way, he was at a place in his life that he had nothing. And yet here's Jesus and Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately the guy could see. Can you imagine what it would be like to go from total darkness to completely seeing? From being totally dependent upon other people to suddenly having independence, to go from hopelessness to real hope because of what this guy did for you. But Jesus says, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Now, wait a minute, I thought it's Jesus that does the healing. And he does, it's the power of Jesus. But it's interesting as you look all throughout Scripture, the power and the work of Jesus was most often connected with some kind of step of faith. You know, he would look at us, he would look at the followers, he would look at somebody who was going to heal, somebody he was talking to, and most often he would want to know, okay, are you willing to take whatever this step of faith is? And so my question has always been, so how much faith is enough faith for God to work? I mean, really, how much faith does it take for me to connect with the work and the power of God so that God works in my life. How much faith is enough faith? I mean, the disciples were oftentimes chastised for their lack of faith. But then Jesus says something like, you know, if you just have a faith like the grain of a seed of a mustard, it's like that's enough to be able to move mountains. So how much faith is enough faith for God to do what it is that he needs to do in your life and my life? How much faith is enough faith for God to take away the spiritual blindness that I have so that I can see. I don't really have a great answer for that question, but I do, as I look at this particular story, I think there's some things that are indicators of maybe what was a level of faith. Because Jesus very much, what? Jesus very much uh, commended this guy for his faith. I mean, he healed him because of his faith. So I think the bottom line this step of faith, this enough faith, is, is about this word risk. And so look at what this guy risks. So the first thing that he risks here is he makes this declaration or this confession, right? What does he call him? He calls him Jesus, the son of David. So again, to a Gentile, they didn't really understand that, but this is predominantly a Jewish crowd. They knew what the guy was claiming. He was claiming, you're the Messiah. It was kind of like the confession of faith that Peter himself made. Which may have been the reason why they told him to shut up. Okay, I can't say that word. Told him to be quiet, right? They rebuked him. Because to make that statement in that particular setting was a risk because at this moment, all of the Jewish leaders had said, he's not the Messiah. In fact, they'd kick some people out of the synagogue because of that. And so it was a little bit of a risk for him to even say that. But he was declaring with his mouth, that's... that's if we want to think about what is enough faith, maybe for us enough faith is that we're willing to open our mouth and say what God needs us to say, right? And maybe just as simple as that's enough faith. But then another thing that I notice about his faith was his persistence. 
He was persistent, right? So they tell him to be quiet after he shouts out for Jesus. And so what does he do? He annoys them even more by shouting even louder, Jesus, have mercy on me, right? And I mean, he's persistent in the face of a culture that really looked down on people like him. I mean, that culture, it was not a good thing to have those kind of disabilities, especially if you didn't have any kind of family to take care of you. And so just his persistence, and I think for some of us, a step of faith is as simple as being persistent with something. Just stepping at it again and again and again. Again, it may be a small step, but it's this idea of persistence or continuing to go after things. But I think that another sign of faith for this guy, which again is about him taking a risk, is he made the request to Jesus. When Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? It was like a moment of truth, right? Um, it's like, do I step into this or do I step back and say nothing? Do I play it safe? But he said, I want to see. And I think for some of us, it's a, it's a, enough faith has to do with my willingness to be able to say, Jesus, this is what I need. Jesus, this is, this is where I'm at in my heart and in my life. But you see, enough faith really is different for each of us. But it has to do with our willingness to take whatever that step is, that next step that Jesus has put on our heart and on our mind. Willingness to do that. And so what we need to wrestle with is this. What is the step that would reveal the faith so that Jesus can do what he needs to do in your heart and in my life? What is that step? What is that small step? Is it opening our mouth? Is it persistence? Is it saying to Jesus, this is what I need? And then look at the impact that this healing had. So verse 43, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. I love it because, first of all, this guy could now see. His whole life was changed. The man who was blind physically, but who could see spiritually, now could also see physically. But look at the impact that it also had on all the other people there. When all the people saw it, they praised God. And his healing, the work of Jesus, his willingness to take a risk and let Jesus work in his life, had an impact on all of those people as well. Those who were spiritually blind but could see physically some of them now could also see spiritually they praised God what's great about Wildwood Christian Church is that many of you have had these kind of experiences of taking a step of faith of letting God work in your life and in your mind you may think that that was just small that was pretty insignificant. But then when you look back at that moment, maybe it was a conversation. You know, maybe it was a passage of Scripture that you read. Maybe it was an event that happened in your life. But you look at that now and you think, man, that was such a significant moment in my life. There's so many stories of God rescuing us. So Bob and Debbie LaVenture um, are a couple that have been a part of our church almost as long as I have. Most of you probably don't even know who Bob and Debbie LaVenture are because they're really quiet. You will never see them up front. And yet, Bob has a story 
So last Monday, he sat down and he shared his story about God rescuing him. And I wanted to encourage you by allowing each one of us to watch that together. Here's Bob's story. Hi, I'm Bob LaVenture. I'd like to share my rescue story with you. I was raised in Shrewsbury, Missouri and was the second oldest of four kids. I was raised in the Catholic faith. My dad was a strict disciplinarian who had episodes of depression with hospitalizations. He was a no-nonsense kind of guy and didn't put up with any trouble from his kids. I was the black sheep of my family, not always following all the rules, but didn't get into any major trouble either. But that changed when I became a teenager and went from a small grade school to a large high school. I began skipping school, drinking and smoking pot. I loved hard rock music and hung with the wrong kinds of guys. But looking back, I didn't really fit in with the jocks or the druggies. I've always really struggled fitting in with any groups. I believe I was taught to not just follow the crowd when I was in grade school and never really have. Although I had what you might call friends, I always really wanted to have a close friend or confidant. I eventually became depressed and thought seriously about killing myself. But then miraculously I heard a song on the radio that came from God. It was taken to the limit one more time by the Eagles. I didn't really like the Eagles because they weren't really hard enough rock for me, but the lyrics spoke to my heart clearly. They told me to keep on giving and keep on going and don't give up. I'm convinced that hearing this song when I did was not just coincidence, but that God gave it to me. I believe it was a miracle. I was renewed, but continued to struggle in my life. I wound up enlisting in the Air Force. Then I met my wife and I no longer wanted to go into the Air Force. And I wound up putting on weight so that when I reported downtown, I was overweight and discharged from the service. My wife and I were then married. I was 18. I had dropped out of high school earlier when we got married and was a part-time bagger at Kroger. We lived with my mother-in-law for six years and I jumped from job to job but remained unsatisfied. We thought getting a degree and a job in healthcare would prove satisfying. I got my GED and wound up in nursing school. We moved to an apartment right out of school. My nursing career brought initial satisfaction and confidence, but then I began to feel unsatisfied. I rekindled my relationship with God and he began to turn my life around again, but it was a slow process. We continued attending Catholic church, going to small groups, but I was still looking for answers or guidance in my life. I believed in God, but I guess I didn't think I was good enough for him to help me. I thought I had given myself to God and was trying to live a good life. I prayed a lot for him to help me and was looking for my Catholic faith to help answer my questions. I was looking for the priest to give me direction and understanding of God's word that I could apply to my life. I was feeling so lost. Then I attended a Promise Keepers weekend in Kansas City and, God, and gave my life to God then, but was still missing God's word in my life while attending Catholic Church. I then started a company with two other men. One was a silent partner and the other was a guy I had worked for earlier. 
I was not part of the ownership of this company, but was the only one who really knew how to do the work. My then boss was a little difficult to work with. He was a micromanager, and we didn't always see eye to eye. The company grew, as did my differences with my boss. I went on a men's retreat at a Catholic church where men gave testimonies regarding their lives. I was asked to give my testimony on a weekend, and in the process, worked with other Catholic men who read the Bible. It really started opening my eyes to God's Word. My struggles with my boss grew worse and worse, and I still wasn't getting any guidance at church, so I thought I would try a non-Catholic church, but was very hesitant. I looked for a church close to home and saw Wildwood Christian Church, so I went by myself one Sunday to check it out. This was back when Pastor Doug was first preaching here. In a few weeks, I was learning Bible stories that I had previously learned in Catholic school, but now they spoke to my heart. I couldn't believe it. I was being rescued again. Now God's word was being opened up to me like never before. I wanted to share it with everyone I knew. I wanted my family to see what I was seeing and know what I was learning. I was sharing my experience. I tried sharing my experience with my cousin, but he didn't really want to hear it. I was so disappointed. I've also tried sharing my faith with my younger brother, but he claims he doesn't believe in God. I was heartbroken. I wanted to share the greatest news of my life with anybody who would listen. Well, my job grew more and more difficult. We now had 20 employees, and every single one of them was struggling with working with my boss and now with his wife who had come on board. I wanted to help my boss see the truth about the company and its dissatisfied workers. One evening I shared this story with him after work and he seemed to take it well, but the next day he called me into his office and wanted to fire me. I stayed on but sought work elsewhere and eventually left about seven years ago. I had worked there 25 years. Since then my life has grown every day. My faith has grown every day. I still struggle with believing I'm good enough to go to heaven when I die, but I realize I don't have to do anything to get there. I just needed to have faith. Looking back on my entire life, I see that God has never given up on me, that he has rescued me so many times. Thank you, Father, and thank you for listening. Thank you for transforming my life. Never give up. Take it to the limit one more time. God loves you so very much. Thanks for letting me share this with you all. God bless you. I'm wondering what uh, your rescue story might end up being in this year. For God being able to work in your life. What, what is it? Maybe it's uh, as simple as hearing a song. Maybe it's as simple as having a conversation with someone. But it's a willingness to take that step so that God can take the blindness that we have in our life and, and open our eyes to what he wants to do with each and every one of us. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why even today we struggle with blindness. Sometimes it's our own arrogance, right? Um, sometimes it is the pain that we've had in the past. Sometimes it's a you know, difficult circumstance that we face. Maybe it's some financial issues that we're dealing with. Maybe it's just the familiarity of Jesus. Like, I've always known Jesus, and it's like, I'm still blind to what he can do. And so my prayer is that today 
can be a day in which we recognize Jesus wants to work in our lives, that we're willing to take whatever step that is to surrender our hearts and our lives to him because only Jesus can rescue us from our spiritual blindness. And as we search for Jesus, he's the only one that can rescue us. So blindness only becomes sight when we turn our lives over to Jesus Christ. And our prayer is that as you seek Jesus Christ, as we seek Jesus together, that we will discover his healing for the blindness that we have, whatever it happens to be at this moment, and that he can help us move closer to him.